Live with CDP, a weekly sports and entertainment podcast, live on YouTube, Facebook Live, Twitter, and on audio via Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, and Anchor FM. Now here's your host, Chris Palme. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Live with CDP podcast on this Wednesday, or sorry, Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. Coming off midnights, I sometimes lose track of the days, but I want to say uh, welcome to Live with CDP podcast, season three, episode 52 today. And I'm looking forward to my uh, guest today, and he's a longtime uh, TV uh, play-by-play announcer for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Jim Jackson, since 95, 96, I believe, along with Keith Jones. And uh, they do the Flyer games on NBC Sports in Philadelphia. So I'm looking forward to speaking to Jim about the Flyers and maybe a little about the NHL playoffs and a little bit about his, his career in broadcasting and how he started up as well. So just give me one moment, guys, and I'm going to bring on the voice of the uh, NHL's Philadelphia Flyers, Jim Jackson. Good afternoon, Jim. How are you doing? Doing great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there, and it's uh, hard to believe it's uh, June 14th already. Yeah, I mean, uh, time kind of flies. I mean, for the Flyers, it was an early early summer vacation. Uh, I got to do a couple games on TNT, but it's it seems like uh, we're already ready for next season already. We got a lot to, lot to happen here, though, in the offseason. The season's not even over. Great finals ahead of us. And I was going to say, I'm a longtime Detroit Red Wings fan, by the way, but I've always had a soft spot for the Flyers when you guys don't play Detroit. So um, I know the NHL draft's coming up July 7th and 8th, and the Flyers and Red Wings, uh, are gonna, it's going to be important for them to both have a, a strong draft this year. Yeah, Flyers are picking higher than they want to be picking, that's for sure, um, in terms of uh, you don't want to be uh, picking fifth because that – Probably means you're coming off a tough season, and that is the case with the Flyers. But uh, and it's a weird draft because uh, you know for a couple of years this particular crop didn't get to play as many games, and uh, I don't think there was many people that were really 100% sure on some of the prospects. Uh, everyone talking Shane Wright, of course, but there there are others that have kind of emerged, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a guy picked lower in this draft that becomes maybe the best player out of this draft just because there hasn't been haven't been as many scouting opportunities. More regular this year, um, and things have really changed a lot with in terms of the rankings as this year has gone along. Uh, so we'll see. But the Flyers need to add a player picking that high. You need to, to add a player that's going to help your team in a big way. I mean, be a top you know, six player as a forward or a top four defenseman. You know, if you choose to go the goalie route, it's got to be a guy who's going to play for your team. When you're picking that high, you definitely have to make it work. Okay. And here's a little story for you, too. I uh, My first NHL game was uh, the Red Wings and Flyers in 1981 at the Joe Louis Arena, and that was the last time I seen the Flyers play live. So it's been 41 years since to, I've been to a Flyers game. So I'm going to have to either do one in Philadelphia or see you guys come to Detroit or Buffalo next year. Yeah, it's time, Chris. Come on, yeah. it's time. 40 years is a long enough wait. I mean, I've been here. This will be my 30th year of broadcasting coming up. I actually started in 93, 94. I did two years on radio and then moved yeah. over to television. So for me, I've been here 30 years and, you know, 
40 years without watching a game? Come on, it's time. I know, I know. And where do, and where it's like where did the time go? I, I was just know. looking I was looking at it today. It was 20 years since the Red Wings won their uh their 2002 Cup with that all the Hall of Fame team and then it was 25 years ago, uh 97 against your Flyers unfortunately. I know for you guys, but it's just you're right, the time, the years go by quick. Well, they do. I mean, I remember being on the ice, I was uh, on the bench as the Red Wings got the cup that night, and I was actually on the ice when they got the cup. The next year, I was working for NHL Radio and was interviewing players as they beat the Capitals for their second straight cup, and that does not seem like 24, 25 years ago, um, but uh, but it is. The time does move on. Time waits for no one, um, and I remember back when the Wings won in 97, of course, the big chant was, of course, the drought that the Red Wings had had since winning their last cup. Well, the Flyers are now approaching 50 years without a cup, so they've got that on. Uh, there's Yeah, guys, just bear with us. It's just the uh, internet uh, connection with Jim. Uh, he did warn me ahead of time, so. Yeah, they're working on our internet here. I yep. can't do much about it. It's a, nope. but Every 15 minutes, I'm going to freeze. <laughs> okay so we're good for yeah no worries it does happen it's even happened with me too with technology so but i was gonna say um yeah you know what it just shows you how hard it is to win a championship in professional sports and to me i i i'm biased i still think the stanley cup is the hardest championship to win out of all the major four sports uh i don't think there's any doubt about it um you know the lombardi trophy in football is hard because it's a hard sport and they're playing more and more games now, 17. And obviously then they have to win three or four, in some cases, uh, games to, to win the Lombardi Trophy. But come on, they're playing once a week. Um, the NHL is a long grind through training camp, preseason games, 82 regular season games, and then uh, four playoff series you have to win. And if you've been watching the playoffs this year, you see how, how competitive it is, how intense it is, the physicality, the speed. Um, it's been phenomenal entertainment this year to watch, but I, I can only imagine as a player uh, on either the, the Lightning or the Avs how worn out you must feel. Um, you know, these teams have had some sweeps, so that's helped them, but they're still playing a lot of hockey, and um, I do agree. I think it's the hardest trophy to win. You really basically uh, at some point face some kind of major adversity if you're going to win the Stanley Cup, and then you just have to somehow make it through physically um, let alone mentally, to get to, to hoist that cup. And um, I think it is the hardest. It's the best trophy, and I think it's the, the hardest trophy to win. I was going to say, and the uh, Lightning are the first team since uh, the Oilers in 83, 84, 85 to, to go to the Cup three times in a row. And the Islanders, obviously, they went uh, five years in a row from 80 to 84. Just shows you how hard it is to go to the Cup once, but now three straight years like uh, Tampa Bay's done. Right. And those teams, um, not taking anything away from those teams, because the Flyers also went to three straight uh, finals back yes. in the mid 70s. 70s. Um, I'm not taking anything away from those teams, but there was no salary cap back then. And, you know, the salary cap makes it very difficult to keep your team together. The, the Lightning have done a remarkable job. Uh, Steve Eisenman built the team, but then, you know, the, the people who've come in since have done a spectacular job just supplementing. They lose their entire third line after last year replace it 
and now they have guys, you know, Nick Paul and Brandon Hagel and guys like this is playing big roles with this team. They have, of course, the great core. There's no doubt that's what, what carries them, but they've added to add those players around that core under the constraints of a, a tight salary cap. And they've somehow been able to do that and make it to three straight cup. If they actually win this series and, you know, I would slightly favor the Colorado Avalanche. The odds makers are, are more than slightly favoring them. But I'll tell you what, Tampa has a way of slowing down these offensive teams. And if they slow down Colorado, they're going to frustrate Nathan McKinnon. They're going to frustrate Kale McCarr. And we might see a different Colorado team than we've seen through most of these playoffs. Uh, so I wouldn't put it past the Lightning to win this series. And if they do, three straight cup wins in the salary cap era to me is like five or six straight in any other era. It's just a tremendous thing. I think it's, uh, you, you say, are they a dynasty? I think they're already a dynasty. What is it? Six of the last eight seasons, they've gone to the conference finals. I think they're already a dynasty, uh, but if they win the cup, if they win this series. I, I think they're one of the, the best dynasties the sport has ever seen given the parameters they've had to work with. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot before we get to some questions. Uh, who do you like in this series, Tampa Bay or Colorado? Well, if I was pushed and I had to put money on it, uh, I, I think my mind says Colorado just because in watching them, they've been so impressive. I mean, they just took apart an Edmonton team that seemed to be going, going on all cylinders heading into that series. Um, and you know, they beat a very tough St. Louis team. They blew out Nashville. Nashville didn't really have their goaltender, but, but I mean, they, they've been really impressive. Uh, whereas Tampa, you know, had to just survive against Toronto. They were uh, very impressive against Florida, but then fell behind the Rangers two nothing and had to really battle back there. So the, the lightning have looked a little bit more vulnerable at times, but as I said earlier, they have taken teams like Toronto and the Rangers and Florida that are really can be high octane teams. And when they've needed to, they have shut those teams down. And if they're able to do that to Colorado, they're going to win this series. So uh, if I had money to put on this series, I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't really know who's going to win. But I, I, looking at the fact that Tampa's being, at last I saw, a pretty heavy underdog, I think there's more value in a Tampa pick than there is a Colorado one right now. Do you know what the status of Nazem Kadre is going to be? Because he's a key uh, uh, player for the Avalanche. Too. Yeah, I know. They just had their uh, the coach and, and general manager, uh, Bednar and Sackick, just spoke. So there may be some news on this I'm not aware of, but uh, I didn't didn't hear the, what they were saying. But I, I, you know, I have a feeling he's going to appear in this series. It's a hand injury. Uh, he won't be at 100. Uh, percent Braden Point is a lower body injury that I think is quite serious. Uh, he's been skating a lot. You think he might make an appearance. So those are kind of the wild cards going into the series. And those are huge wild cards. We're talking about Nazem Kadri coming off his best year and at times was considered a, a heart trophy uh, candidate. So that's how good his year was. And Braden Point, if you look back to the, the Lightning in their last two cup wins, he's been right there as one of their best players and their most important players. So um, if either of them are able to come back at close to 100% and the other one doesn't, that's a that's a series swaying kind of move. Now, if they both come back and they're both not 100%, maybe it's a wash. Um, you know, if they both come back and they're both full bore, maybe it's a wash. But if one comes back in a, in a much better uh, position, in a better position to to uh, contribute in this series than the other, then that, I think that can sway the series. That's how important those players are. Okay, uh, I'm just going to get to some questions now for you, Jim. Sure. Um, 
can the first question can you just tell my audience here in guelph i'm just outside of toronto uh the home of the guelph storm here uh just tell us a little bit about yourself when did you decide you wanted to pursue a career in journalism and broadcasting play by play uh, i grew up in upstate new york not all that far from where you are in utica which um is down the third way i could zip up through buffalo and go to toronto i did it a couple times when i was young um and I was in a very small school, graduating class of 73 kids. So I was kind of the small town kid who had the dream to broadcast professional sports. From whenever I can remember, I just loved sports. It wasn't one particular sport. I was a four for four guy back then. Soccer wasn't as big. So it was football, basketball, baseball, hockey. Those were my four sports. And I followed them equally and I was all over them. I did stats. I was a nerd, all that kind of stuff. I used my tape recorder, did games off my television and I, I, of course, I think we all start wanting to play, and I played youth sports, but I quickly realized that I was not going to make it to the major league level as an athlete, so I had to find another way. And my father was actually the one who suggested He says, you're always talking about it. You're always doing the stats. You're actually doing games into a tape recorder. You know, why don't you go into broadcasting? And I was an hour from Syracuse, which was one of the best schools uh, for communications around, and they call it the cradle of sports broadcasting. So that became my goal from when I was in grade school, and I had to get my grades up to get into Newhouse a School of Public Communications. There you have to have really good grades, and I, I got in. So uh, really, I went to Syracuse, and then my ambition got even greater because I was around kids from all over the country, and uh, you know I was fortunate enough to be able to do basketball and and um, football and some lacrosse there and all kinds of sports casts and sports talk shows and just immersed myself in it. And I loved it. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. And um, I was lucky enough to, to, to reach my goal. It took me about seven years out of college. It usually takes longer than that, to be honest with you. I got some huge breaks. I made a couple breaks, but I got some huge breaks. And um, you know, I was hired by the Flyers back in 1993 after doing the Utica Devils for uh, six years. And um, uh, one year of uh, ACHL hockey before that, which is now the ECHL. And, um, you know, I, I just I, I made my way here. I didn't choose hockey. Hockey kind of chose me. The AHL came to my hometown, Utica, and I was at the station that got the rights. So there I was doing the games. But, you know, I did high school football. I did New York Penn League baseball. I did Division One college basketball for a year. Utica College was Division One under Larry Costello for a year. And, and so I've done all the sports, and I loved them all. I, I never had a preference. I'm known as a hockey guy now, and I love the sport. Don't get me wrong. But I would have taken a job uh, in any of the four sports at the major league level. And I ended up getting to do baseball here uh, for 14 years with the Phillies, too. So I ended up doing two of those four sports. So that was pretty cool. I was going to say, you already answered my next question. And that's one thing I've been learning from all the guys that have come on my show. Listening school skills are huge. You ask, I guess, one question that could give the answers to two, three, four, five other questions. So this other one I wanted to ask you, um, did you have any mentors when you were first starting out in the industry? I didn't really. Um, I certainly didn't as a kid because, I, as I said, I was in a small town uh, in upstate New York, uh, you know, there just wasn't there wasn't the internet back then, so I couldn't communicate. Right now, I'm doing broadcast coaching and I'm mentoring a lot of kids, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So rewarding. I uh, wish they had that when I was a kid. You know, the ability to do this. You know, talk to someone in their living room and uh, you know talk about the the broadcasting uh, business. But uh, back then, we didn't have that, so I didn't really have any. I had announcers that I I certainly uh, idolized. Dan Kelly was my 
my hockey guy. Uh, Pat Summerall was my football announcer. Marv Albert was my basketball. And Bob Murphy, who was a longtime voice of the New York Mets, was my baseball guy. Those four were it for me. I mean, I thought they were just the best in all the sports. Then when I got into college, um, some of the upperclassmen were kind of my mentors. And I, when I went to Utica, the uh, uh, after I got out of college, I didn't have a job at all. And I went to the local radio station that did news talk sports. And I basically just asked if I could hang around for a month, kind of an unpaid internship. But I guess because I was a local kid and I was a Syracuse grad, they let me do it. And um, the sports director of that station's name was Tim Roy. And uh, he had a sports talk show and I started helping him out and I hung around for a, a while. And uh, my very first job in, in commercial broadcasting was I was the producer. I put quotes around that producer of a Polish radio show. It was uh, her name was Maria, Maria Kowalski. She was the host and she'd point and I'd start the polka and I did some English commercial reads. And that was it. That was my start. But that's why I've gotten to do this team for the last 30 years, because I noticed I was at this station and that was on Sunday morning. And I noticed later in the day, they'd carry other sports. They'd carry CBS sports, Yankees, baseball. Um, they'd carry uh, Syracuse sports and the local sports. But around it, they'd, they'd play music, whereas all week long, they had news talk sports. So I, freshly out of college, I put together this written proposal to put a weekend talk show, sports talk show, around their sporting events. They went for it. I created myself a job. And Tim Roy, the sports director, kind of became my mentor. But it was only about a year later that he left to go to Birmingham. And so I was now there as a full-time employee. I became the sports director. And it was only about nine months after that that the New Jersey Devils moved their AHL team from Portland, Maine to Utica. Bingo. I'm like 24 years old and I'm doing AHL hockey. So, uh, you know, got breaks, made breaks, whatever. Uh, I did those six years and then came here. But Tim became kind of a mentor for me. Tim is now the longtime voice of the Golden State Warriors, about to perhaps get himself another ring. And, um, you know, I, it was great to have him around. I went to school with a whole bunch of guys who've gone on to success in the business and were the same age. So I don't know if you'd say we mentor each other, but we've certainly given each other advice on our rides through this business. The likes of Dan Horde, who's in Cincinnati, Sean McDonough. Greg Papa, Craig Minervini, these are all guys who've um, put their stamp in the broadcast business who were in college with me, either in my class or a year separated from me. Um, but I can't say that I had anybody who was in the business that was my mentor. I mean, I met Bob Murphy. We basically stalked him at Wrigley Field when we were there to, to go to a Cubs-Mets game. We were actually there to do a Northwestern Syracuse football game. And Craig Minervini and I were huge Bob Murphy fans. So you can't get out of the booth in Wrigley Field without going down through the stands. So we, we basically waited after the game was over, and they just suffered a crushing loss in 1984 as they were trying to get their way into contention. Rick Sutcliffe beat Ron Darling that day. and But we we hung out, and we we stalked, and Bob came out. And, you know, he had to be de depressed. His team had just lost a big game, pretty much getting eliminated from a, a playoff push. And yet he came out, and he was so nice to us. And it was awesome to see this guy who I had listened to through my childhood and be such a nice guy. But I can't say he was a mentor. That was my only only connection with him. Um, so my mentors were basically the people I worked with and for um, throughout. But now we have this thing. I mean, I'm broadcast coaching now, and I have 35 to 40 kids now that I've, I've done the course with since I started in November 2020. And I tell them, once you do the course with me, it's just three, three one-hour sessions, 
I'm your mentor for life if you want me. I mean, I'm not forcing myself on them, but if they want me, I'm here. They have my phone number. They have my email. They can text, call, or email me anytime with questions. And many of them, thankfully, have stayed in touch. And it's been very rewarding to see them as they take steps up the ladder in their broadcast journeys. So uh, mentors are important. I didn't have any real ones that were like established in the business, but certainly now you can have them. Okay. I was going to say, it just shows you how important volunteering or an internships are. And uh, I'm doing volunteer work right now with Rogers TV here near Toronto for all the Guelph Storm games as a camera operator. And I'm trying to learn as much as I can about the TV side of broadcasting as I am doing with the radio side with the podcasting. And I was going to say, my last guest, Tony Ambrosio from TSN, uh, he's um, in, been in the business a long time too. And he's also um, a teacher at a college here for sports broadcasting. So, a lot of guys in your industry, Jim, uh, not just yourself, uh, they they seem to love uh, uh, teaching the younger people uh, in school about the about broadcasting and media as well. Yeah, I mean, I have a passion for the business, but it's more my passion for people. Love to to see the. We're talking. Guys, got me back. Yeah, got you back. So like, you're right. It was only three seconds. Just about 15 minutes for three yeah. seconds. Seems like they're working on something to me. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So um, as I was saying, I mean, I I was uh, I have a passion for the business, but I have more of a passion for the people. Um, I, one one student of mine was doing NAHL hockey, which is low level U.S. junior hockey. Um, and he's now doing the American Hockey League. He's one step from the NHL. He got the job. I called him on his behalf. And it's just been great to try to help these kids. I know it's tough. You get out of school, and there are more opportunities now than there used to be, but there's also more competition. So it's it's really heated out there, and um, I'll do whatever I can to help my students. So, um, yeah, I see a lot of us get into it after the fact, whether they're actual professors at universities or they do it more on a freelance basis as I am. It, it's it's great. I didn't have that as a kid. I, I would have given anything to be able to to talk to a, a Bob Murphy or a Pat Summerall like this. So, um, and I'm not saying I'm those people by by no means, but um, I'm a guy who made it to to you know a top league and a couple of top leagues and and have spent a lot of time in the business. So um, I can basically tell them some of the mistakes I made and hopefully they can avoid those mistakes on their way up through the journey. And I had one of your guests on last week, Rhea uh, Trilo, I believe. Oh, Rhea, yes. Yeah, Rhea, yes. Rise pupil, yes. Definitely. So, And you're the fifth guy I've had on from Philadelphia, including uh, Tom McCarthy as well. And he's a great guy. He's uh, the voice no of doubt. the Phillies and the NFL and CBS and, yep. and stuff like that. And one of my friends, the Philly sports guy, he loves – you would know him if you saw him. He paints his face up uh, for the Flyers, the Phillies, the Eagles, everything. He's the one that kind of gave me a hand with his podcasting. And uh, I'm trying to do this the unconventional way. And uh, I'm just going to keep working hard on my podcast, my volunteer work with uh, Rogers, and I'm also – I'm now a media freelancer with the CFL here and the NBL of Canada Pro Basketball League. So now I'm doing live interviews, speaking to coaches and players and writing blogs too now. So I'm just trying to to do as much as I can. Yeah, it seems like it's your dream. And uh, that's what I tell every single one of my students. If you have a a dream to make it, um, you got to go for that dream. We have way too many people in this world who are um, at the very worst absolutely upset and and miserable in their jobs and at the very best bored with their jobs. Uh, Just too many people like that. 
Um, if you can find a passion and figure out a way to make a living at it, as, as the old saying goes, you'll never work a day in your life. And it's just for these people, I think, as it would have been for me back in, in my days as a, as a youngster, they probably think that's never going to happen to me. And I'm living proof it can happen to you. I was a kid in a small town in upstate New York, and I made it to my broadcast dream. So um, it can happen. You're going to have adversity. You're going to have yes. people tell you you're crazy. You're going to yep. have people tell you you're bad. And yep. in fact, with social media now, people tell you you're bad even once you've made it. But yep. you just have to be able to push through all that. And, uh, you know, if I, I, I use this, this, I call it my pep speech, but uh, preparation, experience, and perseverance. If you you have those three things and you apply it to this business, your chances of success go up exponentially. I can't guarantee it. There's still the wild, wild west out there with this business. I can't guarantee you'll be successful. But if you decide to give it up, you make that decision. You know it in your heart or maybe between your ears, not somebody else. You don't need anybody else telling you you're crazy, get out of it. You'll know. And hopefully that day never comes, but you will know if it's time to go into something else. And the other thing about sports broadcasting is there are so many ancillary businesses, PR, sales, uh, management, whatever, in, in this business that a lot of people branch off. And they branch off with the hope that they're going to go back on course and end up on the air. But I know many people who have branched off and then have kept going and have found something. I'll give you a quick story. There was a kid at Westchester University, which is not far from here, who uh, contacted me about eight years ago um, to come to his class and speak. And so I did. Um, and at the end of the speech, he, he thanked me and he came up to me and said, hey, I've got some clips. Can you listen to them? I, I really want to make it in this business. And you couldn't have been more ambitious than this kid was. And I said, you got to push for it. Absolutely. Go for it. And I listened to his stuff and it was pretty good. And I, I said to him, I go, you know, you got to polish it, but you have potential to make it in this business. So give it a shot. Well, he got out of school and there was nothing there. And he contacted me and said, what should I do? And I said, well, you, you know, just keep looking. You might have to work for free for a little bit. I told him my story. Um, and wouldn't you know, I heard about an internship opportunity with the Flyers. And so I contacted him and said, it's, you know, it's a no pay game day kind of internship thing, but you'll be around sports. You'll meet people. And if you don't have anything else, why not? So he did that. And the six months came to an end and um, he came back to me and said, I, I liked it. It was good. You know, I'm just, and I still want to get into the broadcasting. I said, that's good. I said, you know, the Phillies, I was working for both teams at the time. He said, the Phillies have an actual PR opening. And now with this six months of PR internship under your belt, you might have a chance for it. You want to go for it and, you know, keep pushing for broadcast. But, and he said, I might as well. Well, he's now second in command, I think, of the Philadelphia Phillies public relations wow. department. He, he went over there. And I remember two or three years ago, right before the, the Phillies and I parted ways, he he, uh, I, I went to him and I said, you still have that itch to broadcast? He goes, I would have loved to do that, but I'm loving this too much. So that happens. And so you branch off and you end up finding another path to being very happy, but uh, at least gun for that dream to start and not be uh, 20 years from now thinking back, if I only gave it a chance, if I only gave it a chance, you know, I would have never forgiven myself if I listened to my mom who did not want me to be a broadcaster. She wanted me to be a veterinarian. My father was a veterinarian. I could have taken over his practice. I love animals, have my animals, but um, I didn't have the same passion that I for animals that I did for sports. So I followed through and she fought me all the way through college, all the way through my 
years in Utica working. Even my first couple of years here in radio in Philly, I think when she saw my paycheck when I was doing television, she said, okay, you're, you're going to be fine. But she fought me tooth and nail, and I just wouldn't let her dissuade me. You know, in the beginning, it could have actually just prevented me from even giving it a shot. After that, it became more of just a pain in the butt. But she basically just didn't think it was the way I should go. Um, I disagreed. It was my dream. I followed. I persevered. And I made it. And I can relate to that a little bit too. My story is a little, that's why I love about this podcast. Everybody's story is different, but yours is kind of motivating as well. I got a taste of broadcasting a couple of years ago by accident and I really liked it. And it led to me volunteering with Rogers TV here. And then it led to my podcast. And then uh, one other thing too, Jim, that you mentioned is contacts, connections, and never say no to opportunity. And 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 you have to reach out too. I've reached out to the Ontario Hockey League, the Canadian Football League, and they've been giving me opportunities as a uh, media member to, to cover the games and do what everyone else does, like talk to coaches and players after the games and, and write stories during the game as well. Yeah, you absolutely have to take advantage of every opportunity you get. Um, as I like to say, there's no such thing as bad experience. People say, what are you talking about? I have a bad experience every day. And I'm like, okay, we all have a bad experience. But even if you have a bad experience in a job situation, you probably learn something about absolutely. yourself. You know, yeah. Maybe about yourself. Maybe about that particular part of the business or maybe about that company that you work for. But as long as you're learning something about the business or yourself or what have you, it's not bad experience because life is all about learning from your experiences. Um, we're hopefully wiser as we get older and we have more experiences in our back pocket. But the bottom line is get those experiences. I do not believe there is such thing as bad experience. A bad experience, of course. I'll have a bad experience probably um, later on today in some way, shape or form. This Internet is a bad experience. But uh, <laughs> the bottom line is, you know, you learn from. I'm going to learn that I've got to call Xfinity ahead of time and get this taken care of. But, uh, you know, you learn from it. And so if you learn from it and you learn something from an experience, while it might have felt like a bad experience, it was good experience because you did get something out of it. Absolutely. And I've taken some of my current job skills that I've used and I've applied it to my media uh, situation and how I talk to people like coaches and players and stuff like that as well. And absolutely. And, Definitely. you know, athletes go through this, too. And. Um, most athletes, there are some, the real, real special ones that, uh, you know, they're, they're just phenomenal from day one, but most athletes at some point are either cut from a team or aren't as good as they feel they should be on a team. They aren't playing the role they feel they should. They have some coach that for some reason doesn't like them, what have you. The athletes usually go through some of this having to persevere as well. So yeah. Um, and in fact, it's it's probably throughout all of business um, that 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 pep that I talked about, preparation, experience, and perseverance. You probably have to have that in any business, to be honest with you. But I definitely know you need it in this business. And one of my inspirations too is Vince Papale. He's the reason I became an Eagles fan. And Vince knows about my story, and he's always telling me, you'll be the oldest rookie to be in broadcasting. And, and uh, he's a great motivation speaker and somebody I look up to. And uh, and it's not – age is just a number. It's not how you start a game. It's how you finish it. No doubt. And I've had students uh, ranging from 12 to 59 in my uh, broadcast uh, coaching classes. Uh, the 59-year-old is starting up 
in fact, it's going very well, a streaming uh, sports service down in South Florida where he, he covers uh, some of the junior hockey and college hockey uh, that, that exists in Florida. And, um, you know, he's doing games and he's enjoying it. Um, awesome. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Really, life is too short to be miserable in, in a job. Um, I would rather make decent money in a job I like than make great money in a job I hate. Absolutely. Um, because I've found... And I've been fortunate enough to make enough money to have a comfortable living, but I've I've found that the money comes and goes. It, it's really more. For instance, the, the Phillies. I mean, I worked 14 years for the Phillies, and then they told me after the 2020 season that uh, I was a luxury they could no longer afford. So I was out, and I, it hurt. But because of that, I got into this broadcast coaching, and I can tell you with 100% certainty that doing the broadcast coaching and seeing the smiles on the faces of people like Rhea Troilo and other students I've had as they make their way into the business and, and take another step is way more rewarding than me having a great pre or post game show or a good couple of innings in the middle innings broadcasting the Philadelphia Phillies. So um, I'm not making as much money. It definitely uh, hurt in terms of the paycheck, in terms of the uh, income for the family. I won't lie about that, but I'm, I'm, it's much more rewarding what I'm doing now. And I've got other things, other side hustles as well to, to make some money, but it's um it's, it's a very rewarding thing. So uh, be happy in what you do. Make a, you know, find a way to make a living that you can be comfortable for sure. Um, you don't have to be a billionaire to be happy. And in fact, many billionaires and millionaires aren't happy. So just find a job that you like. And as I said, you won't work a day in your life. You'll just go to the place of work and you'll do it, enjoy it, get paid for it. And then you'll have time in, in your downtime to have fun and enjoy life as well. So um, sounds easy. It's, it's easier said than done. I will give you that. If we could all do that, a lot of us would all be happier. But I think it's uh, one of the keys to life, quite frankly. Okay. Um, are you okay for a few more questions? A few more sure. minutes? Yep. Okay. Time-wise I wanted to ask you, and that's great advice too. This one I wanted to ask you, how did you end up coming about the role with the Flyers as their uh, radio guy first in 93? And I'm going to, I reworded this question too, because I had Bob Soshi of the Patriots. Uh, he had to fill, uh, uh, replace, uh, not replace, but fall in the footsteps of uh, Gil Sandals. What was it like falling in the footsteps of the late, great uh, Gene Hart? Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate enough my first two years here doing radio to kind of work with Gene. He was doing television, so we traveled together. We were around each other all the time. I got to see how he prepared. Um, I tell a preparation story for my classes about Gene. He used to carry around this big, huge black binder full of information. Didn't have a laptop back then. And, uh, you know, I look at him and I think I feel myself like I was uh, – woefully uh, underprepared compared to him. Um, but finally, after two or three months into the, my first season, I, I said, Gene, I mean, how much of that do you really use? I mean, that big binder. You, I mean, hockey's a fast sport. You you can't possibly be using a big... And he looked at me like the cat who swallowed the canary. He was all happy waiting for me to ask that question. He was probably about 10%. And of course, I fell right into his trap. And I said, 10%? I mean... Uh, that means, you know, when you're preparing, you're wasting 90% of your time. Why, why bother with that? And he says, ah, but Jim, I don't know which 10% I'm going to use from game to game. And he's so right about that. And now when I show my preparation 
techniques uh, as part of my classes uh, most of the kids look at it like whoa <laughs> like really that's a little much well first of all i love it so it's not work i love digging into a team finding out about its players about its history about everything so that i'm ready for that broadcast and but i also know that if i prepare the way i do that going into that broadcast i feel 100 ready and that makes me a better broadcaster just the fact that i feel like bring it on Whatever's going to happen, I'm ready for it. Now, is that true? No. I mean, was Al Michaels ready to call an earthquake in 1989 when he showed up to do the World Series? No. Some things happen in live sports, live television that you can't prepare for. Uh, you know, a gate fell off a door in Cleveland where we had this long delay when we were playing a neutral site game there. and uh, You know, we had to talk for ad nauseum about stuff. These things happen that you can't prepare for. But going into that broadcast, I want to feel as though I've got it licked. Because just that feeling makes you better. Athlete who's playing with confidence. I think you just froze up there for a few seconds. Right. It's it's that feeling that I've got this, you know, and it makes you a better broadcaster. So I learned that from Gene, uh, the preparation. Uh, as for following him, and I very much, I'm glad you you corrected yourself on that because whenever anyone says. What was it like replacing Gene Hart? I said, yeah. I wouldn't know. No one replaces a Gene Hart. He was the, I like to put it this way, and it, it sounds nice. He was the eloquent messenger of glorious times for this franchise, and that he was. He, he called the two Stanley Cup championships. But more than that, he taught this entire market about hockey, about the NHL. He was a teacher. He was a former teacher. He got into broadcasting, and he did it so well. And he is a large part of why there is such a fervent Flyers fan base. Even after two tough years, there is a fervent Flyers fan base. Let me tell you, if the Flyers get off to a good start next year, this will be a hockey-mad city again. Um, they are used to success, though, and that came from those Broad Street bullies, but it also came from Gene Hart teaching them so well about the game. So uh, he's a Hall of Famer. He's an icon in Philadelphia, so I could never replace him. I followed him, and for many years – I, maybe 10, I'd get the fans coming up to me, you know, and they try to be nice and say, yeah, you know, you're, you're no Gene Hart, but you're okay. Or, uh, you know, yeah, you don't even try to be Gene Hart, but, you know, we'll take you, stuff like that. The nice ones would say, hey, you know, we love Gene and we love you too. And, and I got that pretty consistently for about 10 years. I also got some, when I first took over, some we didn't have email back then, thankfully. We certainly didn't have social media back then, thankfully. But I got some very uh, angry mail, snail mail. Uh, one in particular, I remember threatening my kids, which was quite oh. interesting because I didn't have any kids but at, at the time. So, you know, be, be with that what it was. Uh, you know, when you are a, a broadcast icon in a town like Philadelphia, once you've made it there, they take you to heart. You are them. You are part of them. And um, Gene was that. So I was kind of the outsider. I wasn't from Philly, uh, you know, coming in. So it might have taken a while. But now, 30 years, hopefully they've gotten used to me. And, um, you know, I, I don't get as many of those questions. Scarily, uh, I think about it. Anybody 35 and younger now doesn't even remember Gene. So because his last year on the air was 96, 95, 96. Um, 
actually 94 95 was his last year on the air he did some phantoms games after that but with the flyers 94 95 was his last year well you do that the you, you do the math there what we're talking 27 20 27 years since he was even on the air and so if you were seven or eight you might have seen a year or two of gene hart yeah, 35 and younger they don't remember gene too much now they remember hearing about him from their parents um, but it is getting to the point where and it in my mind it's sad that some people don't even remember gene but certainly the middle agers and the, the seniors they still i still occasionally get the you know i was a big gene hart fan but we you know we like you too and I was going to say, Philadelphia is a great sports town for broadcasters. Obviously, Gene Hart, uh, the late uh, Harry Callis. And well, then, uh, and then I, you know, I, I'll interrupt yeah. you on that. Harry, um, I worked with, with the Phillies, and I was sitting right next to him when he called the 08 World Series uh, title final out. Um, it's right up at the top of the list for me of my broadcast highlights. I wasn't – I was doing the postgame show, but I was sitting right next to this guy who – I had so much respect for. And back in 1980, when the Phillies had won the World Series, he couldn't call the last out. There was exclusivity back then for the national radio networks. They redid it later, but he didn't really call it live. So he had waited and hoped to get this opportunity. Um, tragically, you know, he was gone less than a year later, but he got that opportunity. And I was sitting right next to him. And he nails the call, and he's got tears in his eyes, and to hug him right afterwards, chills. go. I get chills right now thinking about it. So uh, Harry was being on the same float with him in the parade and hearing the uh, Harry, Harry chants bounce off the walls from hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, it was uh, something I'll never, ever forget right up there at the top of the list. People always ask me, what's your favorite broadcast moment? And I mentioned that, and they're saying, well, I mean something you called. And I said, well. I called the post-game show. I was there sitting right next to Harry. So I have to put that right up near the top. Yeah, my late father uh, back in 1984 uh, took me to a couple of Philly games at the Vet as a 12-year-old kid. And I love that stadium. And I got to see the Phillies, Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton, Pete Rolls with Montreal. And then I remember watching some of the Phillies games on TV uh, when I was in Philadelphia for that week. And I really enjoyed listening or watching Harry Karras and um, uh, Richie Ashburn, Chris Wheeler, Andy Muzzer. And it's like, and then hey, I'm an Eagles fan, by the way, here, Jim and uh, in Guelph and I'm a huge Merle Reese fan and as soon as I hear his voice I'm like this is Eagles football the, yeah there's no doubt about that he has a very distinct voice and you know Merle I think 1977 was his first year yeah I mean Merle Reese that that's a run that's that's you know coming up on 50 years with one team I mean that just doesn't happen very often we've talked about PA announcers and the Flyers and Lou Nolan yep. and the Phillies with Dan Baker have two of I think three PBA announcers right now that have been 50 years with one team. Uh, they're, they're approaching the record of Bob Shepard, the legendary PA voice of the Yankees. Um, um, for a PA announcer, it's an accomplishment. For a play-by-play -play announcer, one team, 50 years, that's just incredible. Definitely. Um, are you okay for a couple more minutes or are you sure. going to get going? Okay. Uh, this one I had to ask you. Uh, most memorable, I didn't want to say favorite, most memorable game you've called so far with Keith Jones or even the late Gene Hart. And what's your favorite, uh, most memorable goal call? Well, I get this a lot, as you might imagine, and I never really know how to answer it. For so long, my answer was 2000. Flyers, Penguins, 
Longest game in the modern history of the NHL. Eight periods, five overtimes, Keith Primo goal. So I could answer your question, both your questions with one, because it was the Primo goal and that game. Because how often are you part of NHL history, right? And um, the only two games longer than that game took place when the forward pass wasn't allowed. So in my mind, it's the longest game in the modern history of the NHL, the way the game's played now, the way we know it. So to be able to call that game will always be, and uh, in fact, right there is the box score, the uh, wow. stat sheet from that game, um, will always be, you know, right up there at the top. But, but then you know that decade rolled along. I got a chance to do a, a game in Toronto, actually the last second round game the Leafs ever played, when Jeremy Roenick scored in overtime to send the Flyers on to the conference finals. That came after Sammy Kapanen had been hit really hard by Darcy Tucker and was groggy trying to get back to the bench. And there was this whole wild sequence and, you know, JR finally scored and I barely had any voice left because I was, I was out of oxygen. Um, I've had a lot of fans say that's their favorite call of mine. So I put that one up there. And then there was 2010 when the Flyers and Rangers play in a shootout to determine which team goes to the playoffs. It doesn't get more dramatic than 82 game season coming down to two hated rivals in a shootout, Henrik Lundqvist, one of the best shootout goalies, and Brian Boucher and the, the Flyers with Claude Giroux scoring the, the game-winning shootout goal, win it and go on to the playoffs, and then go on to trail Boston three games to none and come back and win that series and get a chance to call that comeback, including the game seven, where they fall down three goals and come back and win. So in and among those four, the Primo goal, the Ronick goal in 04, the two 2010 moments, the shootout, in the Boston goal, they're my they favorite ones, but there are literally Chris hundreds of great moments. I adore this sport. I'm watching these Stanley Cup playoffs this year. I did, as I said, two games for TNT, but basically, I'm watching these as a fan. Um, and I really didn't for 14 years when I was doing baseball get a chance to do that. I called Flyers games when they were in the playoffs, but as soon as the Flyers are done, it was to baseball, and baseball is every night, so you don't get a chance oh, yeah. to see much of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, but last year and this year, I've been able to just sit back and watch the playoffs. And last year was good, but there weren't any fans in Canada yet. This year has been pretty normal. And uh, to call it normal is unbelievable because the, in the entertainment level of these, the wild and crazy games, the, the stars shining, the controversies, the physicality, the uh, just what these guys go through. You watch the Tampa Bay Lightning block shots, and it, it, it's just uh, – I don't think there's anything like it in sport. We talked about it earlier. I think it's the hardest trophy to win. I also think it's the most entertaining playoff out there. I mean, I've done playoff baseball. There's great drama in that, and I like that. Um, not well, How do you get any better than football, the playoffs? I mean, you think about the divisional playoffs last year in the NFL, tremendous games. It's awesome. NBA, I, I'm not sure the NBA playoffs elevate that much over the regular season compared to the other sports, but the bottom line is, I don't think you can top the NHL. NFL is awesome, and and baseball with the drama is all. They all have their great elements, but you 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 have everything with the Stanley Cup playoffs when you're talking all those elements that I mentioned earlier. So um, it's it's great, and to be able to call that, and to be able to get a chance to call so many great uh, moments for the Flyers over the last three decades has truly been an, an honor and a privilege. Have you ever thought about writing a book about your experiences? I probably will. Um, that brings up a pretty touchy question right about now because, you know, I'm 59. I don't feel like I'm close to retirement, but 
the calendar's telling me I am. I'm Mark Zumoff just retired as the play-by-play voice of the Sixers. He was 64, maybe 65. We started at the same time here in Philadelphia. So his retirement, uh, even though he's a little older than I am, but his retirement completely shocked me. And and then I'm watching some guys retire this year, you know. Rick and, RJ and Buffalo. Yeah, RJ. I mean, RJ's got me by several years, but Pat Foley, Rick Jenneret, Dennis Beck, uh, uh, you know, these guys are all leaving – the sport um i'm forgetting one other retirement that i should know i'm rick peckham recently retired um and so really the mark zumoff one though sent me into like i gotta look at this how many more years do i have Uh, but i don't feel like i'm i'm ready to retire so it's it's weird when you know you you see that there might be um the end of the the run here coming up. I really want to see the Flyers win the cup first. Uh, I want to be part of it. I'm not ever going to call it thanks to the national exclusivity, but I still want to be around it be part of the organization when they do it. So I've got that to hang on to, but I also want to be one of these guys who hangs on along, you know, after his time is, is gone. I mean, hockey's a tough sport. It's a tough oh, yeah. sport to call. You have to have really good eyesight. You have to have really good articulation we lose that. We lose our eyesight. We lose our ability to articulate as we get older. Father time waits for no one. We said it already. So, um, you know, it's it's a delicate balance we watch as to when I would get out. What was your original question? Um, it brought me to thinking about retirement, but I can't remember what it was now. So just, oh yeah. just, yeah, just, I guess with all these great announcers and stuff like that, you're right. A lot of them have uh, been retiring like Pat Foley. And uh, I guess right now, Joel Bowen would be the longest serving broadcaster. In the NHL. Yeah, he's on radio. Sam Rosen's yeah. the, the television longest. I'm not sure which of them started earlier because Sam Rosen has been doing the Rangers. I went to a game when I was in college with my roommate, Craig Mitrovini. It's a second mention in this podcast. Um, he won a Marv Albert sound alike contest. And the prize was to spend the the a game in Buffalo, Rangers Buffalo, in the booth with Sam and Phil Esposito. We're doing the game, so we got to do that. And they actually took us out to Sinatra's in Buffalo afterwards, and we're actually hanging out as college kids, you know, having beers with NHL players and NHL announcers. It was a great time. But I mean, Sam's been around that long. I mean, when, since I was back in college, and before that, actually, he took over for Jim Gordon, I believe. So he's probably Sam probably started in the Around 1980, I'm thinking. I'm not sure when Joe started in radio. For 82, 82. 82. So they're probably 82. pretty close. Um, but uh, both still right at the top of their game. So um, it's it's great to see them have these long runs. But it's still, you know, I I, I just, I, I didn't even think about retirement. I thought it was some long, long off thing yeah. until Mark Zumoff retired. And then I'm like, you know, I, I got to think about this. And a couple other people around the Flyers organization are retiring that I feel are in my my age group. And, you know, it's like uh, Bill Clement retired just uh, last year, by the way, Bill Clement today announced as the, uh, the winner of uh, the award to go into the hall of fame. Awesome. Uh, Foster awesome. Hewitt award. And um, Al Morgan is going in as the writer. So two people I've worked with um, and, and both so deserving um, Bill is a, uh, I mean, I worked with him as it turned out for like 12 years. And I always remember it's like this thing I watched as a young broadcaster. I can't say as a kid, but as a college kid and, and, and as a young broadcaster, I watched him and then I ended up working with him. And it was, it was, uh, it was just 
awesome. He's just a wordsmith. And, um, you know, he was the top analyst along with John Davidson in the U.S. calling hockey for so many years on ESPN and Sports Channel America before that. Uh, so he, he deserved to get this a long time ago, to be honest with you. And I talked with Doc Emmerich about let's get Bill in a long time ago. But uh, finally, Doc, really, he, he put pedal to the metal and he got it done and uh, he got voted in unanimously. So and Al, I'm around all the time here in Philadelphia, is such a great guy and he's so witty. So these are two great guys to go in and well-deserved. I couldn't, and I found out that news today, I, I couldn't have been happier. So that's I know awesome. that's a, a tangent, but I wanted to get out there, but Bill also recently retired. So there's, uh, there's all these people retiring around me. Uh, some are a little older than I am, but it's still, it, it makes, um, I hope I, the, it, it figures I'd freeze then. Yes. Talking, talking about those student loans. Yeah. I wish they would freeze and go away. But, uh, but anyhow, it, it's, uh, it, it's been a, a great run, and I hope I've got a little more runway left because I do want to see that cup go down Broad Street before I'm done. Absolutely. Did you ever work with Gary Dornhoff? Yes, uh, Gary Dornhoff yeah. was my first yeah. TV analyst. Um, 1995, I took over. Um, I'm sure he will tell you a great story about my first preseason game. I was deer in headlights for sure. Because I had been a radio guy. I had done radio all through college and into the Utica days and my first two years in Philadelphia. I had never done a TV hockey game. And there I am following Gene Hart. And, um, you know, Dorney was an awesome partner. I always used to say um, if ever I was somehow involved in a, in a war and needed someone next to me in the trench, that's who I'd want. Because um, uh, he, he always had my back. He was just a... It's completely reliable person. Um, and um, I worked with him from 95 through 05, 06. So I had a good long run with Dorney. Steve Coates was in the booth with me for a while. A trip, so much fun. Uh, but how lucky have I been? I mean, my broadcast partners, Gary Dornhofer, Steve Coates, Bill Clement, and Keith Jones. I mean, oh, yes. they're all, all three of the guys, uh, when you're talking about uh, Dornhofer, my main analyst in the booth with me, Dornhofer, and then, uh, and then Bill and, and Jonesy have all been national guys who are at the top of the profession as analysts. So um, I have been completely blessed. And Coatsy, maybe not national, but Coatsy, just great to be around. So for people who are actually in the booth working with me, I've also been blessed to work with other people. Uh, Jody Shelley, most recently for those TNT games, outstanding. Jody Shelley, let me tell you, he should be doing national games consistently in the near future. Uh, works hard. Uh, well-spoken, uh, has a passion for the game, really understands the game. Um, so I, I hope that happens for him. And then back in the days, I worked with um, Andy Brickley, uh, Eddie Olchuk, Ray Ferraro back in the, the early days of NBC. So I've had the opportunity to work with the best of the best. I, I have been completely 100% blessed to to have great, great broadcast partners. And they're as big a reason why I've been able to last 30 years as anything. And I've been lucky living here in Canada to have some of the greatest of all time with Bob Cole and Jim Houston. Absolutely. And then, and then with the Red Wings. Jim. I, I wish Jim was still calling yeah. games. He's so good. Yes. And Chris Kotberg has done a really good job as well too. So. Uh, Chris, a good friend of mine. He's uh, I love Chris. Uh, you know, he's a very distinct voice, but he's another one of those guys. I mean, it was pretty, I thought noteworthy when they were doing the tease for the, the battle of Alberta, 
the last time they played, there was Chris Cuthbert did the game and he's doing it again now. Some 30 how many years, years later, 30 years later. Yeah. yeah so that's uh, Chris is just a, one of the best guys in the business and so good at what he does. So yeah, Canada's had a great run with announcers. I mean, uh, whether Danny Gallivan's the guy I listened to as a kid, you know, the cannonading blast. And, um, and then you, you transitioned from him to Bob Cole for all those years. And then yeah. Jim Houston, um, and now Chris, I mean, it's just a, a great litany of, of play-by-play broadcasters. And it should be that way in Canada because it's, you know, Canada's sport. So um, they should have the best. And I've been spoiled, too, with the Red Wings, with Can Daniels and Mickey Redman the last Absolutely. 25 years. I yeah. had Can Daniels on my podcast, and he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, too. Yeah, Ken's – he's uh, another – he's been around right around the same amount of time I have, and he's – um He's, he's had, you know, life sent him some tough challenges and he just yeah. plows ahead and uh, really solid. He and Mickey have such great chemistry. It was Dave Strader before Kenny. And, yeah, he uh, was great. The know, late Dave Strader. Just, I really, uh, yeah. a, a dear friend of mine and uh, miss him to this day. But uh, another just really super quality broadcaster and person. Okay. And this, I just wanted to wrap this up, uh, Jim, if you're okay for like two more minutes. Yep. Uh, just quick thoughts on this 21-22 Flyers team. And where does this organization need to approve upon for next season? And uh, for my audience here in Ontario, who are some of the young prospects to watch for out in Philadelphia? And I know one of them is Isaac Ratcliffe, who played for the Guelph Storm. Yeah, Isaac's a guy I hope has a, a consistent role next year. Um, got a couple of looks this year. Uh, in a fourth line role. And I think that's where he's going to start in the NHL. But I really think he's a guy who could show enough to end up being one of those fourth line guys that ends up on the second power play, then maybe takes advantage of it a little bit and moves up the lineup. I like Isaac's uh, play. And I think with the right coach and the right structure, um, he's an NHL player for sure. Uh, but in general, this season, Chris was a disaster. I mean, um, I, I, I sound like a shill for the team when I say this, but Injuries killed their season. I mean, there's not no team out there that could be without their number one center, their number one or two defenseman, and their number two center for virtually the entire season and survive it. But on top of that, they lost 500 man games to injury from other players. Joel Farabee missed significant time. Other key players were out. And they had a coach in Elaine Vigneault who didn't change much when things started to go off the rails. And, and I think the pandemic, I, I might be speaking out of turn here, but I think the pandemic took a little bit out of, of AV. Um, I, I don't think he enjoyed doing his job as well in the restricted area, in the bubble, or then after that with everything being separated. I think this is a guy who really enjoyed the life of the NHL, and I think he really missed that. And then I, and I, you know, he had some things going on personally, too, that would really weigh on his mind. And, uh, he didn't seem to change when things went off the rail. And Mike Yo came in, and people forget this, but the Flyers had that 10-game winless streak. Yo comes in, and they actually were 5-0-2 into the uh, Christmas break, and they really were starting to play better, and then they get hit with COVID. And, I mean, Sean, uh, all the injured guys were already injured. Then you had Claude Giroux, Ivan Provorov to the COVID list, and they played a couple of games I quite frankly don't think they should have played. I think the game should have been postponed, but they were just so undermanned against Pittsburgh in one game I remember in particular. And um, and then they, they go into another tailspin. And, okay, there's a lack of depth in the organization. You shouldn't have completely tanked out when, when you had this adversity, but they had a ton of adversity this year. Um, so uh, this year to me, 
is one that uh, it, it was awful. The the younger players didn't develop. Most of the key players got injured. COVID hit. Coaching change. All this. It just it just was a tough year. But in saying that, I don't think I am not part of this big group of people, especially here in Philadelphia. Some of the uh, people are saying that it's going to take years and years for the Flyers to be good again because. In 06-07, the Flyers had their worst year ever. The next year, they were in the conference finals. Now, I'm not saying this team will be in the conference finals next year. That team added Scott Hartnell, Kimo Tiemann, and Danny Briere, Joffrey Lupul. Uh, late in the year before that, Marty Biron and uh, Braden Coburn, a whole bunch of players, which I don't think this team can do that because of the salary cap, uh, the constraints they're under. But I do think that if they get Couturier back, they get Ellis back, and they have Hayes playing the way he did at the end of the year, and they add one key offensive player to help the power play. Johnny Goodrow's name's out there. Um, and then they get their young players to develop. I'm I'm a Carter Hart guy. I believe he's not only a good goalie, I think in a good structured system, he's a great goalie. This team could be back in the playoffs next year. I'm telling you, it's not, it's not that far off. If you look at their roster with their injured players back, those are ifs. But Couturier was skating pretty much full bore by the end of the year. Hayes was. Ellis is the question mark in my mind. But if he comes back and Provorov has his partner, he plays much better. Sanheim took leaps and bounds this year. He plays the wrist of the line in second pair. Cam York's part of your third pair. You might need a veteran right-handed shooting defenseman in your third pair. Your forward lines, I can put together four pretty good lines with all the players healthy if you throw in a good row. Um, and I, it's just to me – all this talk about they're so far off. It's going to take a good off season for sure. The biggest move is the first one. They get the right coach. But if they get a John Tortorella or Barry Trotz in here, those guys are proven. Barry Trotz took a team with the worst goals against average in the league and took them to the best goals against average in the league his first year in the job on the island. So who's to say he can't do something similar to that with the Flyers? Um, so I, I just don't think they're as far off as people think. I like some of their young talent. I like Joel Farabee. I like Noah Cates. I like Cam York. Um, Sanheim uh, really took a big step. As I said, you throw him in there with Provorov, who I think can take another big step and connect me if he's still here. These are guys that are, are good players. I mean, it's not as far off. So as bad as this year was and the year before, really, I mean, people forget that from November, the mid-November to mid-March of the 1920 season, the Flyers had the second most points, tied for the second most points in the NHL. They allowed the fewest shots on goal per game. They were winning those games convincingly. They were outplaying teams. Carter Hart wasn't stealing a bunch of games. That, that's a five-month period, Chris. You don't go on a streak for five months. If you're one of the top teams in the league from mid-November to mid-March, four months, whatever, you are one of the better teams. And, you know, they won a playoff series, won all three round-robin games, won a playoff series, went seven games in the second round in the bubble. So they weren't that bad then. I don't think they're that bad now. And I think if you give them some health and maybe a little addition, tweaking, and a good coach, they can be right back there next year in contention. Yeah, the Red Wings are also looking for a head coach too. So a lot of teams um, are. It's a yeah. wild and crazy market that it's. It, I feel like we're at that point. Like when you play the game, Kerplunk. Remember that uh, the the first thing's going to fall. I think it will be Barry Trotz, and yeah. then they're all going to. We're going to have a, yeah. a mad dash of signing because the draft is coming up. You want your coach in place by the draft. So. Draft. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that I don't think they're waiting for the finals to end. I, I think they're waiting for the first coach. And I think that first coach would be Barry Trotz. I think Trotz. he's number one on many teams lists. And once he goes somewhere, I think everything falls into place real quickly, but it'll be fun. 
I still think Mike Babcock uh, at some point will be back in the league as well at some point. Yeah, he's a name I haven't heard too much about with all these coaches out there. Um, but if he wants it, um, I, I think some team might take a chance. I mean, it didn't end well for him in Toronto, obviously, but you know, it, it didn't end well for some of these coaches. That's why they were let go, right? So um, uh, there, there's a. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen this accomplished a list of coaches available in one off season. Okay. And I'm just going to wrap it up, Jim. Uh, I probably kept you longer than I should have, but I really enjoyed hearing your stories today. Um, any advice for those, not just myself, looking to pursue a career in broadcasting TV, radio, and where can my audience here find you on social media? Yeah. I mean, my advice is what I said earlier. You have a dream. It might seem far off, way out there, and you probably have people telling you it is such. doesn't matter. Shoot for it. Because when you're my age, you don't want to be looking back saying, yeah, I had a decent, decent life, but if only I'd given that a try, you know, um, I don't have to say that. I always wanted to be a broadcaster and I'm doing it. So I'm completely fulfilled professionally from that standpoint. So um, I want you to have that same. And if you don't make it, at least you gave it a shot. Right. Uh, and then, as I said, pep, preparation, experience, perseverance, get lots of those have lots of those, and, and you'll be successful. Um, I am uh, at Jim J. Philly on Twitter. That's it for social media. I'm not an Instagram or Facebook person. Um, JimJacksonBroadcasting.com is my website, which you can get information on my coaching, audiobook narration, um, cameo, all that kind of stuff. So, um, But the broadcast coaching is, is the main emphasis. Um, if you are out there and you're anywhere from 12 to 59, you can be 65 for all I'm concerned. Um, and you have broadcast aspirations, I'd love to work with you. Check out this site and get the information and then contact me and we'll go. Okay. I will definitely do that as well. And uh, Jim, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on live with CDP Podcast. This is my 162nd episode in the last uh, two and a half years. And You've done a full been... baseball season, Chris. You've done a full baseball yes. season. 162. Yes, too. And I've been very lucky to get guests like yourself, Jack Michaels, Derek Wills, Ken Daniels, and uh, Tom McCarthy is one of my favorite guys. I'm really lucky, and I'm just going to keep grinding away at this, keep improving and doing as much as I can because I have really have a, spa, uh, a passion for sports and talking to people and uh, learning from hearing st storytelling. Well, I can tell you do have that passion. So, And I see your post. might be on LinkedIn where I see your post a lot of the time. Or is it Twitter? I'm not sure. One of them. And, Both uh, LinkedIn see, and Twitter. Yeah, I see you're involved. and. Um, keep it up. You know, that's your passion. Go for it. And uh, the National Lacrosse League is a new sport that I'm into now, and I love it. It's like hockey and basketball. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the third game between Buffalo and Colorado this Saturday in Buffalo. But, Jim, I'm going to let you go. But, hey, I want to say thank you so much, Jim, for coming on. And maybe again in the future I can maybe have you back on again and, and talk some more Philadelphia uh, Flyers hockey. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're going to have some moves you're going to want to talk about before the next season starts uh, between the coach, some of the free agent moves, trades, all that stuff. So uh, we'd be glad to go on again. Okay, well, thank you so much, Jim. And we'll definitely keep in touch with you on uh, social media with LinkedIn and uh, on Twitter. Sounds good, Chris. Take have care. a great day. You too. 
anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed my podcast today, season three, episode 52, with Jim Jackson, the longtime TV voice of the Philadelphia Flyers on NBC Sports in Philadelphia, along with uh, Keith Jones. And uh, it was great talking to him about the Flyers hockey today and stuff like that. So, guys, just to let you know, um, my next podcast is going to be this Friday, June 17th at 10 a.m. My guest is going to be Griffin Della Pena. He's a uh, content uh, writer for the Buffalo Bandits and Buffalo Sabres. Uh, he was supposed to come on last night, uh, Griffin, but he had a work commitment and he uh, didn't have time, a chance to get on my podcast. So this Friday, June 17th, 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, Griffin Della Pena will come on my podcast and we're going to talk a little bit about the Buffalo Bandits and the Buffalo Sabres and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to that. And then on Monday, June 20th at four o'clock, I'm going to have Rick Zamprin, the morning host on CHML 900 in Hamilton and the host of the fifth quarter uh, for the Hamilton Tiger Cats after their games on CHML. Uh, Come on and we're going to talk some CFL uh, with Rick and the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Hamilton Bulldogs and maybe a little bit about his Toronto Maple Leafs as well because Rick is uh, Rick Zambrin is a huge Toronto Maple Leafs fan. But anyways, guys, uh, so I'm looking forward to my next podcast this Friday, June 17th, 10 a.m. with Griffin Della Pena, and we're going to talk Bandits and Sabres with him as well. And uh, always, guys, just to let you know, uh, live with CDP podcast, the audio version is downloaded to Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, and LinkedIn. And I want to say thank you to everybody watching this live on my YouTube channel. Please hit the subscribe notification if you already haven't. And thank you to those watching on Facebook Live and also on my Twitter page at Chris D. Pame as well. And also, guys, you guys can follow me on TikTok at Live with CDP. That's at Live with CDP on TikTok. The other day, I posted some uh, pictures and some videos from the Bulldogs Spitfire Game 5 I did in in Hamilton. And one of my videos went viral. And I didn't say much of it. It was basically the opening of the the Bulldogs Spitfire game. uh, And they turned down the lights in the arena. And they had everyone turn their uh, flashlights on their cell phones on with music. And I recorded about a minute of it. And I posted it on my TikTok page. And now has over 21,000 views and over 2,000 likes. So uh, usually my videos on TikTok are maybe... 200 300 views and maybe five likes and i post this one video and i've got 21,000 views and over 2,100 uh likes so check me out on tiktok if you'd like at live with cdp and i also did a nice interview with reese uh dumani from the uh, hamilton bulldogs audio network on there as well so and uh that game seven Bulldog Spitfires tomorrow night, Wednesday at 7 o'clock, TSN, and on CKLW 800 in Windsor with Steve Bell and Manny Pava, and also on the uh, Hamilton Bulldogs Audio Network with uh, Reed Dutchie as well. So that should be some kind of game uh, tomorrow night with the Bulldog Spitfires. The winner goes to the Memorial Cup and becomes the OHL champions tomorrow night. So hope you guys can tune into that as well. And again, guys, you can follow my guest that was on today, Jim Jackson, on Twitter at Jim. J Philly. 
And uh, Jim is also on LinkedIn. If you want to uh, follow him, on, connect with him on LinkedIn, uh, Jim Jackson as well. And uh, you can check out NBCSports.com slash Philadelphia. And if you want the latest on Philadelphia Flyers news, you can check out NHL.com slash Flyers. So anyways, guys, I'm going to call this a podcast show. Uh, but uh, again, oh, before I wrap it up, guys, uh, the 2022 NHL Stanley Cup begins Wednesday, June 15th, Tampa Bay, Colorado at 8 p.m. I'm picking Tampa over Colorado in six games. So, all right, guys. Again, I uh, I want to say thank you to Jim Jackson from the Flyers for coming on today and talking about his career in Philadelphia Flyers hockey. And uh, just want to say thank you to everybody, uh, again, watching this live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and later on my audio platforms, Apple, Google, etc. So I hope everybody has a great afternoon and uh, look forward to seeing you guys on uh, Friday, June 17th, 10 a.m. Again, uh, my guest, Griffin Della Pena. He's a content uh, writer uh, for the Buffalo Sabres and Bandits uh, websites. And we're going to talk uh, about the Buffalo Bandits and if they can win the uh, 2022 NL Championship this Saturday night against Colorado Mammoths, which is uh, going to be Saturday night at 8 o'clock on TSN, ESPN+, and I think on the radio WGR 550 in Buffalo as well. So we'll talk to uh, Griffin about that as well. So, all right, guys, uh, I hope you have a great day. And uh, we'll see you guys Friday morning at 10 o'clock for another edition of Live with CDP Podcast. Have a great day and evening, everybody.